This presentation has been previously broadcast. Well, let me tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. As any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church, that's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Uh, I got a question from a listener, and I can't find it. I can't find the answer. Well... The voice may just ask me if I prep before the show. Don't tell anyone, but secretly I do. All right, let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit. They shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Michael, the archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the heavenly host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan, and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, let's go to the big book on the coffee table. All right, the Bible. More obscurity today. Oh, good grief. What? I, well, life is obscure. Um, uh, oh, the, good grief. Good grief. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be talking about something that we all assume we know. And you know what they say about assuming? Don't do it. <laughs> uh, um, I'm, as you can hear, I'm clicking away. <laughs> clicking away here. Okay. Okay. Now, in the first reading, we have um, a list of gifts. Uh, This is Isaiah, the 11th chapter, the first verse and following. On that day, a shoot shall sprout from the stump of Jesse, and from his roots a bud shall blossom. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, of counsel and strength, of knowledge, fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be the fear of the Lord. (sighs) These are the gifts of the Holy Spirit. In classical Catholic theology, these are the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, wait, 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 that, that can't be. Um, doesn't St. Paul say that um, there are different ways of working, but the same God works in all in 1 Corinthians twelve seven. 7? Uh, now, to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by the same Spirit. Uh, uh, to another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. And 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 it goes on and on about to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in various tongues, and to still another interpretation of, of tongues. Um, 
All these uh, works are one of the same spirit who apportions them to each one as he determines. I thought those were the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You know, I go to the prayer meetings. We talk about receiving the gifts of the Holy Spirit. All right, fasten your seatbelts. There will be actual history in this, so pay attention. Fasten your seatbelts is good anyway if you're driving. But in the United States, before it was the United States, when they were the colonies, the British colonies, especially in the north where Puritans settled, you know, the the, um, the ultra-Calvinists, uh, you know about them. We, we call them the Pilgrims, uh, the Puritans. I forget what they called themselves. I think they, they, they just probably called themselves Christians, but they were uh, very, very anti-Catholic and very anti, uh, uh, oh, uh, smells and bells. They, they didn't like any of that. They didn't celebrate Christmas. They didn't. They just were completely opposed to the worldly spirit, and they really believed Catholicism was the worldly spirit. Now, these, this is going on in about 1600 in England. Uh, they actually fought a, a civil war. Cromwell was one of these uh, uh, ultra-Puritans. And uh, uh, briefly, uh, England was, was a republic. Uh, um, so uh, they went, they, they left England because they were afraid their children would be corrupted by the, the lingering um, uh, Catholicism in the Anglican Church. The Anglican Church had a, a, a non-Catholic theology in many parts, and especially Calvinist, and um, they, but they still had the, the Catholic sacramental system. So in order to be completely free of these remnants, these vestiges of, of, of papal fripperies, they, they moved to, England, to, to Holland. And they were kind of, they didn't speak Dutch. They were second-class citizens. Their kids were becoming Dutch. So they decided to move to America. And uh, they um, uh, set up the, the, uh, uh, the, the uh, was it the Plymouth Plantation uh, in Massachusetts? And um, they really determined much of the character of the northern part of the United States. Now, the South, they were more Church of England. Um, uh, but this is going on, oh, uh, late 1500s um, and into the, the 1600s. So 1650. Well, all right. They came over here and set up their their independent uh, um, uh, colonies or, or corporations um, along Calvinist lines. Uh, you know, John Calvin, the great uh, Reformed theologian in Switzerland, uh, who developed. Uh, 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 well, he was kind of the first one to say that the the congregation is is inspired by the Holy Spirit is sufficient for the the interpretation of Scripture, that the congregation is the church. We don't believe an individual congregation of the church. A bishop in union with his uh, with his flock is necessary for uh, the manifestation of the church. All right. You wonder where this is going, don't you? I'll get there. I really promise you I'll get there. Well, lo and behold, 
you didn't have civil rights in the colonies, in, in places like Massachusetts and Rhode Island and these colonies founded by and dominated by religious groups. In order to have civil rights, you had to be a member of the congregation. And to be a member of the congregation, you had to give evidence of salvation. Uh, so if you were looking to become, uh, uh, to have rights in, in the colony and be a member of the congregation, you appeared before the appropriate board and, you know, the pastor and the deacons. I don't know what the board was composed of. And you gave evidence of salvation. Well, I was walking in the woods and I, I had the sense of the presence of God and I knew I was among the chosen. You're in. That that really kind of was what it was. Now, if you lived a reprobate life, that was evidence of lack of salvation. So, But the point is, you had to give evidence of salvation. Had you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord, and and were you worthy for baptism and and incorporation in the in the colony? This became ingrained in American thinking. To be a member of the church, you had to give evidence of salvation. Now, fast forward to 1900, when there are all these um, Methodists and and uh, uh, other types of Christians wondering why the, the lives of the early Christians and the lives of the founders of their own denominations had been so vital. And they decided that because they had been filled with the Holy Spirit and modern people were not. So they began to seek this this outpouring of God's Holy Spirit. The, they, some people refer to it as the second blessing. This is going on around 1880, 1890. The, America was, was very revivalist. Uh, in the 19th century, and um, th this also became very ingrained in in American um, um, in American uh, even political life. Well, in 1900, going into 1901, there was a Bible study or a, a Bible school in in I think it was Topeka, Kansas. It met in a house called Stone's Folly. Um, because they'd started, this guy named Stone had built it and didn't have money to finish it. They rented the building and they started talking about this. And there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And that is where Pentecostalism in the 19th or the 20th century really looks, uh, it looks toward that as its roots. Um, so the question about, are you saved? Very important question for us Americans. And how do you know you're saved? Well, you have evidence of salvation. You gave your life to Jesus Christ. You came up for an altar call. Well, let's let's layer on. Can you say really that you're saved unless you have the Holy Spirit? Because in 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, it says, only he who is speaking by the Holy Spirit can say Jesus is Lord. So clearly you have to have the Holy Spirit in order to say Jesus Christ is Lord. And you must be able to say Jesus Christ is Lord in order to be saved. Can you feel how this is getting a little silly? It'll get sillier. Well, can you honestly say you have the Holy Spirit if you do not speak in tongues? Because in the scriptures, that was the sign in the early church that you had been baptized in the Holy Spirit. You've been filled with the Holy Spirit. So, 
There are groups today who say, if you have never spoken in tongues, you do not have the indwelling Holy Spirit and you are not saved, you're not going to heaven. I know somebody who became a Catholic because, well, his whole family said, well, he's not saved, he's never spoken in tongues. This is ridiculous. But do you understand what I'm driving at here? That the idea that that speaking in tongues or being able to say Jesus Christ is Lord is evidence of my salvation. I'm in. And the idea that you are once saved, always saved, you cannot lose your, lose your salvation. That was an idea popular among the, um, the uh, reformers 500 years ago. But it is, it is absolutely foreign to Catholic theology. We don't think of being in or out. We think about being in relationship to Christ. That I'm always telling you, we don't go to heaven. We go to paradise, which is the beautiful garden in which we walk with the king that our heaven is about a relationship. We don't go to heaven. We become incorporated into that relationship, which is God. It's a completely different perspective uh, that, that, that we're not in the club or out of the club. Uh, some of us, I think, actually believe that, but we shouldn't. We're not in the club or out of the club. We are in the relationship or out of the relationship. So people looked at these manifestations of the Holy Spirit. But if you look at that, at that passage, it doesn't talk about gifts of the Holy Spirit. The word gift is, is a charisma in Greek, which means a thing freely given, uh, not earned. And it is a very inclusive term. The ability to walk and chew gum is, in a certain sense, a charism. But within the, these charisms is a very specific category. So let us look at this again. Um, let me back up here. I got to get the proper passage where it, now t this is first Corinthians 12, the eighth chapter, the eighth verse, 12th chapter, eighth verse. Now to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given so that you can tell that you're saved. No, it doesn't say that to each one. The manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. And I think this is one of the places that that the charismatic renewal or Pentecostalism went off the rails that, well, this was given to me because God loves me. And it's so much fun to go to a good prayer meeting in Babylon, Babylonian. And it shows that I'm, I'm, I'm saved. Look at the text. Each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. If you are given one of these manifestations of the Holy spirit, and that's what they call it. They're not called gifts here. They're called manifestations to one is given through the spirit, message of wisdom, another message of knowledge, another faith, gifts of healing, and on and on. These are not given to you for your amusement or for your validation. If you have received one of these manifestations, it is so that you can do good in the world. They're a gift of God through you to the church. They're not a gift to you. They're a gift of God to the whole body. And they're manifestations. That's the proper name for those those things. The gifts of the Holy Spirit. I've had so many people say, well, how come the Catholic Church has the gift of the Spirit? Knowledge, fear, understanding, all those things. Those are the gifts of the Holy Spirit. What we're talking about in 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. You may think that, well, that's, that's just picking at, at hairs. No, it is a very important idea. Because if you have been, been given a manifestation of the Holy Spirit, it is not for your amusement. It is for the good of the church. The baptism in the Holy Spirit, so-called, is a vocation to a specific kind of ministry. It may or may not be an experience 
but it does not something that validates you as a person, as a Christian, as a believer. It is a call from God to minister to the good of the church through these uh, very special manifestations. And I think if, if the, if the charismatic renewal, the Pentecostal movement is going to live up to its potential, that we have to understand this, that what, what, so you speak in tongues, what good is it? So you can prophesy, what good is it? So you can, you can, you, you have wisdom or knowledge, gifts of knowledge. What good is it? Is it doing any good or is it just are you just having a fun time with it? No. Uh, the, the, the Pentecostal calling, which I prefer to, to, the phrase I prefer to use, is about service to the whole body and not arguing with people about theology or saying, well, I'm holier than you are because I can babble in Babylonian. That's nuts. The, the so-called manifestations of the Holy Spirit are not signs of holiness. Um, God had Samson use the jawbone of a more proper word, donkey. He can use you. No, the, manif- the, the, the evidence of holiness are the fruits of the Holy Spirit, love, peace, patience, joy. So don't be, don't be fooled that, that somehow, well, because I can levitate and, 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 and heal the sick, I must be very holy. On the contrary, I've met some people who have wonderful manifestations of the Holy Spirit who aren't holy at all, <laughs> including me. So that said, I, I, we're almost, oh, good grief, I talk a lot. I, I do want to go to... Um, one word, I'll make it the word of the day in the gospel because it's, it's a lovely, lovely um, word. All right, let us go to letters. And I'll I'm, I'm exp- break and then letters. Uh, I'm, I'm experimenting with a wonderful new call screen, and, and I'll have lots of time for calls. So call in early, 888-914-9149. 888 888-914-9149. And... Uh, I hope you're manifesting the Holy Spirit. Today we'd like to thank Steve, who is listening in Wisconsin, for donating his 1981 Kawasaki motorcycle. You can join thousands of other listeners in donating old vehicles, trucks, boats, and RVs by visiting relevantradio.com slash car. That's relevantradio.com slash car. With the Spirit of the Lord inside, there's a greater love in me. When I asked Him to come in my life, what a difference I could see. And Great song. And by the way, do not be afraid to ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, Pentecost is the property of the Bride of Christ, the Church. It isn't a movement, you know, I, 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 there's a, a comedy show I will not mention, but it's a cartoon and, and they do a spoof on all these things. And there's a group that comes to town called the Movementarians. <laughs> and I, I don't like movements, but I, I do believe that God draws people together. Uh, so, um, don't be afraid, you know, the, the, this, this infilling with the Holy Spirit is not the property of of any movement or any denomination. It is God's gift to Christ's bride, the church. So don't be afraid to say, Lord, whatever you want to do with me, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Because um, uh, 
that's a very real thing. All right, let's go. To, oh, by the way, the phones are open at 888-914-9149. And uh, there are a lot of lines open, so 888-914-9149 to ask any question you may have about the Lord, the Faith, the Church, and the Big Book on the coffee table, the Bible. All right, let us go to letters. This is a letter from Eric who makes the point, which I think is a very good point. As human beings, uh, we do not have unlimited energy. This human being certainly doesn't. There is a very large difference between sloth and conserving energy. Everyone needs to relax and forgive themselves and others, and we will all be okay. I think that that's a good point, Eric, that, you know, sometimes we, 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 um, uh, um, we forget that, that we need to rest and, uh, you know, uh, the Lord actually took time out, we see, in certain situations. Uh, for instance, in the Gospel of Mark, he goes to the far side of the Sea of Galilee by way of Lebanon. And uh, I've heard people say, well, clearly that means Mark didn't know uh, the geography of the Holy Land. No, Jesus was getting out of town to spend some time with his disciples. So, no, you, you can't. Um, there's a wonderful story told about John the uh, the Evangelist that he was walking uh, along with some of his disciples uh, when he was an old man. And uh, um, uh, a Roman soldier came up and said, aren't you that philosopher John? who You are laughing and telling jokes with your, with your disciples. You, shouldn't you be more serious? And uh, John said, I see you have a, a bow from bow and arrows. Uh, take your bow out and pull it. Pull it again. Pull it again. Pull it again. Pull it again. And eventually the guy said, you're wearing me out. And besides, if I keep doing this, I'm going to break the bow. And John looked at him and said, the bow, too frequently drawn, soon breaks. And he went back to telling, laughing with his disciples. You know, the devil hates honest laughter. So I think it's a very important thing to um, to to um, laugh honestly. All right. Uh, so, oh there's, oh, there's a PS here. No suffering goes unwasted. Um, because God is perfect and loving. Uh, so that's true. So thanks for the, <laughs> the reminder to rest. I will look forward to the afternoon nap. All right. Now, this is uh, from, uh, let me make sure he doesn't want to be anonymous. Oh, this is from Todd. Recently, I had a cousin pass away. He was a baptized Lutheran, so I presume in the Trinitarian formula of baptism is correct. Yes, Lutherans baptized in the Trinity of persons. Due to financial reasons, my cousin's remains were created. His wife, as a Mormon, has authorized his ashes to be passed out to persons who will be in attendance at his memorial service on December 12, 2022. As a practicing Catholic, my heart is breaking at this thought. I have expressed that his ashes should be returned to earth to no avail. Is creating jewelry out of a Christian's remains an act of the evil one or simply evil in general? Oh, I'd say it's evil in general. But, you know, that it is interesting. The screw tape letters that I quote entirely too often talks about um, the enemy, meaning God, um, honoring the human body, that the devil is utterly opposed to to uh, incarnate beings. Uh, the flesh is evil. You know, people say, well, I'm spiritual, I'm not religious. 
No, you're not spiritual. You're partly spiritual. You got a body and religion is very important for your body because religion means to tie down or to restrict, to hold back. And believe me, your flesh and my flesh need holding back. Uh, to when people say I'm spiritual, not religious. Well, the devil is a pure spirit. So I would, I don't know. I don't know if this is from the devil or not, but it's, 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 it's a terrible thing. Um, uh, the the people say, what about relics? Catholics the Catholics have relics, and and isn't that you know they you say you got to bury the, the the body? We have relics. The point is, I remember a a, a a saintly woman who took care of uh, a lot of people who were alone in retirement homes. And these wonderful people, uh, they would die, and their remains would be. Uh, cremated after they their bodies had been found and and the local civic authorities would give the ashes to this this good woman who taken care of them and uh, and they went up in a rectory attic and uh, she came home one day and all of these boxes of ashes were gone and the pastor who preceded me was a very tidy person and uh, he'd found all these boxes of dirt and thrown them out and the poor woman almost came unglued she was going to have those buried and you know never got around to it um well therein is the point that you may value these ashes uh but whoever is following you may not now a relic is placed in a reliquary it has certifying papers and it is treated with great respect at least it should be uh so there's no chance of the of the um uh, defilement or, or, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, um, desecration of, of those remains, but you know, you have jewelry. Well, you take it off when you wash the dishes and it goes down the drain or something. Now we believe that out of respect for the human body, which is a thing that comes from God, we must bury those human remains even if cremation is 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 necessary uh we must bury those human human remains in consecrated ground so you know uh, just have mass offered for the fellow I, even if he's a lutheran i bet he'll appreciate it there you go all right let me see let me do a, another letter um here i think let me press this button and now this oh uh let's see here um, I'm not quite sure what that letter's about. Um, I'm, I've, I've got it now. I've got it now. This is from Joseph. I was, and I, I, I was looking for this, Joseph. I was listening to your show, and you quoted from C.S. Lewis, Lewis saying that God was such a sophist that he would forgive. Um, I think if I remember the quote that God was such a sophist, he would forgive a person or save a person on the flimsiest of grounds. You know, uh, um, I, I don't know. I was looking, I can't quite find, um, um, where that was, but I will keep looking, Joe. And thanks for your kind letter. All right. Now, let me see. This is from, uh, uh, Oh, this is from uh, Deacon Jim, uh, just saying thanks. I mentioned his, uh, his, um, stump the deacon. He does a little, a little thing in his parish that, that sounds great. All right. You know, if you, if you uh, are a deacon or a person in religious education or a, a priest, you know, don't be afraid to be asked questions uh, and don't be afraid to say, I don't know. I'm going to have to research that one 
because it's what keeps your mind, at least it's what keeps my mind going. So, all right. Sometime back, you mentioned you thought there was a document from the USCCB that instructed that ushers are not to direct people to communion. I'm the liturgy coordinator of my parish and was happy to hear that, but I've not been able to locate any such doc- document. Do you have more information about that instruction? Where can I find it? I don't. I, I need to find it myself. And if anybody knows who's listening knows where that is, I would very much appreciate hearing about it. But I, I, I still think it is, it is a very bad idea because, you see, with, with or without the document, because it means that everyone is expected to go to communion. Uh, that's, you know, the, 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 the happy chaos of, of people coming up when they, when they want to uh, provides a, a sort of anonymity. And, you know, that, that in the old days, when you had to fast from midnight, people didn't go to communion that frequently. And they really felt that they should go to confession, which is a very fine idea before communion. It's not necessary unless you have uh, grave sins, mortal sins. Uh, you should not receive Holy Communion if you think yourself to be in a state of mortal sin. So, uh, um, in the old days when you had to fast, uh, somebody didn't go to communion. Oh, they didn't make the fast. It was from water. You didn't drink even water. Nothing passed your lips from midnight on. And, uh, oh, you didn't do the fast. Now, of course, that to break the fast, you really have to be carrying a donut and a cup of coffee into church with you. Well, lo and behold... If you don't go to communion, people look at you and think, oh, an ex-murderer? There are lots of reasons not to go to communion. I know people who will not go to communion if they're having a fight with a relative, and that is uh, not absolutely necessary, I suspect, unless it is a real fight that involved fists. Um, but it is, it, it's, it, to me, is a token that this person understands the sacredness of the Eucharist. So if a person doesn't go to communion, it may be because they understand the intense sacredness and don't think themselves worthy at this moment of Holy Communion. However, you and I both know, oh, didn't go to communion. Did they rob a bank? What? You know, so I'm very opposed to ushers doing that. And I will, I will continue to search to see if I can find the actual reference. Okay. Um, this is... This is an interesting kind of thing. Can you, this is from Adele, can you give a message on how Christians can protect themselves against hopelessness in the Christmas season? Attacks on our feelings are tricks of the devil. Well, that's, I would say, by celebrating the feast. And, you know, um, so many people get depressed because this Christmas isn't like Christmas as long ago. Christmas as long ago weren't like Christmas as long ago. Uh, Christmas has always been kind of a crazy time in my life. You know, when you're a kid, it's all golden, but your parents are at wit's end uh, trying to get things ready, get the presents, and they don't have the money for it, and they don't know how it's going to go, and and they're feuding with the brother-in-law, and, you know, things aren't like they used to be, but then again, they never were. I think if you you really prepare for Christmas... um, spiritually, that, that 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 will help to concentrate on it as a religious feast, uh, which we don't do. And, you know, don't get overwhelmed by by uh, what you don't have. Uh, I heard someone once say, um, 
uh, stop hoping for a better past. <laughs> you know, uh, I think that, uh, that this comes under that rubric. Stop imagining the past was better than it than it was. Um, my mother, who was one of the finest people I've ever known, she I was really blessed in my both my parents. When my father died, we asked her her plans, and she said, well, I plan to live until I die, and she did. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that, that, that um, I think the prayer of Thanksgiving, when, I, when I'm feeling a little, a little at wit's end, if I sit down and think of four or five things that I'm really grateful to the Lord for, that really helps. So, so make your petitions known to God with Thanksgiving, as St. Paul says in the letter of the Philippians. But... Uh, um, understand that that the past is often seen through 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 different lenses and this is again the the text of scripture says this is the day the lord has given let us rejoice and be glad in it so thank god for a few things adele and concentrate on the religious nature of the feast and uh then i think we'll be fine all right let us go to a break we'll come back with a word of the day and uh, then I'll take phone calls. Oh, 888-914-9149. The voice might just poke me with a, with, a, with a stick. And I woke up. 888-914-9149. This hour is sponsored by Ave Maria Mutual Funds, where financial goals are aligned with pro-life values and fund decisions are based on investment fundamentals designed to preserve and grow wealth without violating moral beliefs. More information at AveMariaFunds.com. Friends, the idle brain is the devil's playground. Trouble! Oh, yeah, trouble. Right here in River City. Right here in River City. With a capital T and that rhymes with P and that stands for poo. We surely got trouble. We surely got trouble. Right here in River City. Got to figure out a way to keep the young ones moral after school. <laughs> Good luck with that. All right. Let's go to the word of the day. There, there's the gong. In the gospel today, Jesus says, Yes, uh, I give you praise, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, for although you've hidden these things from the wise and the learned, you've revealed them to the childlike. What? I Look at that childlike. What is that word in the text? And the word is nepios, which is exactly the same as the word infant in Latin. It means one who is incapable of speech, so one who doesn't talk. That's what infant means in Latin. Have you ever wondered why you have infants and you have infantry? <laughs> what, they're childish? No. Infantry are the ones who are supposed to march and shoot. They don't talk. So that's why they're called infantry. They, they, they take the orders. They don't give them. But infans, in is a, ne is a privative in Latin, and fans is a word meaning speaking. And it's nepios is neepos. Epos is one capable of speech. And it's someone who doesn't, who's incapable of speech. So... You've hidden these things from the wise and learning. You've revealed them to infants. You know, so people say, well, I, I, I'm, not, I can't, I'm not good at this. I don't know. I'm not a scholar. I don't talk. Surprise. God reveals these things to simple people. I have heard that there are, at, at, at uh, the first Christmas, there were two kinds of people who recognized the Lord. The very, very wise who were the Magi. They were... They were uh, the Magi were really an international think tank. They, they, they were respected for their, their knowledge and wisdom. 
the very, very wise discern the presence of Christ, not in Herod, but in a baby in, in, in the manger. And the very simple shepherds, well, now, now it's a little more complicated now, but back then, all you need to do to be a shepherd was the ability to stay awake most of the time. So um, uh, the very simple and the very, the very, very well-educated, it's all of us who are kind of in the middle. Well, I read a book and it said that the Shroud of Turin is fake. Mm, not so much. Or I read a book and said that, no, no, that the Jesus, Jesus never claimed to be God. Mm, not so much. He most certainly did. So we communicate with God in the simplicity of our hearts. And uh, I think that that's, uh, that's, that I think that's nice. All right, let's go to phones. Buddy the Elf, what's your favorite color? No, no, it's David from San Diego. What can I do for you, David? Hi. Hi, Father Simon. I have a question about the um, about the Christmas novena, and I don't yeah. know if there's more than one. But uh, so my wife and I were reading this uh, this morning, and it just kind of smelled of superstition. Um, kind of the way it's written, and especially the, uh, the text at the bottom after the prayer. Um, Basically, it just says, you know, as pious believe, piously believe that whoever recites the above prayer 15 times a day from the Feast of St. Andrew until Christmas will obtain what is asked. That, and that part it, sounds it was, pretty superstitious. The Christmas novena is yeah. a fine thing. And the only part of it I know is hail and blessed be the hour and the moment at which the Son of God was born of a most pure virgin at a stable at midnight in Bethlehem in the piercing cold. At that hour, grant, we beseech you to hear our prayers, and to grant our desires. Through Jesus Christ and his most blessed mother. That's not superstitious. The idea, the guarantee is superstitious. Uh, but I, mm. I think actually the Christmas novena is a very lovely thing because it, it helps us to prepare for Christmas. But the guarantee, mm. you know, what you do when you pray is you're putting yourself in the hands of God and he may have something better for you than you want. So I think I think you're right that 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 addendum wherever that's from that's superstitious. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but the prayer itself is very I think is very beautiful. Does that help a little? Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's a, yeah. I just uh, yeah. yeah, the addendum at the at the end kind of threw me, and especially when it says fifteen times a day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fifteen times a day. It's like <laughs> you know. Uh, Lather, rinse, repeat. I mean, you know, this is this is a shampoo bottle, not a novena. So, yeah, I would I would um, say the prayer and say, Lord, I'm not going to say this 15 times a day. Maybe I'll say it a few times a day. Actually, that wouldn't be bad to say it a few times a day. But you give me what you think best, and you know, and and happy birthday. So it would it'd be a fine way to prepare the novena, simple the novena prayer in itself. And you know, it it wouldn't be a bad thing to add it, um, you know, at the end of a rosary or or as part of your Thanksgiving uh, after communion, or even just a few times a day to keep yourself focused on what we're doing. I think it's a fine thing. But you're absolutely right. The guarantee yeah. that's, you know, I preached a long-winded sermon this weekend about if God makes a promise, he's going to keep it. Um, the problem is when we make promises for God, <laughs> he's not bound to those. Yeah. So uh, some human being decided that was true and, well... It'd be nice if it was, but I'm not counting on it. But the novena is beautiful. Yeah. So I hope that helps a little, David. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. All right. Let's go to Frank. Is it Frank? E. Frank? From, from it's E. Frank. Uh, e. Frank. Yes. Uh, what can I do for you? 
Yes, Father Simon. I I believe I may have asked you this question in the past, maybe last year, but I, I still have a little bit of a recollection in regards to the answer because I don't recollect the the exact answer to the question was correct according to his historical perspective in regards to the uh, beginnings and the um, the the history of the season of Advent that it started with uh, a group of individuals that were not Catholic. And I still I, don't I, understand, even when I was doing my confirmation I, project in a little, I'm a little, a little confused by that. Everybody talks about uh, Christmas not being, being, being a Christian feast, uh, that it most certainly is. That the reason that Christmas is celebrated on December 25th was because Jesus died on March 25th. And uh, he would have been conceived or wait, though, I, on, on March 25th. And it was a belief among the Jews that a person was, uh, that a prophet died uh, on the anniversary of his conception. And thus, they knew the approximate solar calendar date for the death of of Jesus, and thus they put it on December 25th. And so all these people who try to tie Christmas to a pagan feast, and thus tie Advent to a pagan feast, it just isn't so. Advent uh, was kind of, when I was a boy, it was kind of a miniature Lent. It was a season of, of fasting and preparation, which was a very Christian thing to do. So I just I just don't think that that's that that's true. I mean, Advent is, is and, and you know, people say, well, the, it, it didn't start among Christians. Lots of good things didn't start among Christians. Um, and and we, we've adopted and adapted many good things. So, uh, you know, Advent is, is, I, I firmly believe it, 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 it's, it's a Christian event, but anyway, well, thanks for calling in Frank. God bless. Let's go to, to Larry from, uh, from, uh, um, Larry from uh, Roswell, Roswell, New Mexico. Larry, what can I do for you? God bless you, Father. I'm uh, got a question for my atheist brother-in-law. We were oh, don't about... you hate that atheist brother-in-law? Boy, oh boy, go on. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm sure he's a wonderful person. He, uh, he he wants to know why the Catholic Church thinks that we shouldn't scatter cremains when we collect. There, there are relics that around the world that are separated yeah. from yeah. one self. Well, I, I, I just, I just talked about that a little bit. That the thing is, we believe in the sacredness of the human body, and relics are kept with great reverence and and great respect uh, in reliquaries, and and they build churches around them. Uh, so. Um, uh, um, Scattering the remains, you know, we find that disrespectful, the sacredness of the human body. So you can tell your brother, it's because we believe in the sacredness of the human body, uh, a reliquary <laughs> or or grave and consecrated ground. That's that's what we do. And um, it's because we believe that the human body is something is is is, is something eternal. You know that that that's a that's an important thing for us. We we believe in the in the in the absolute um, sacredness of something that God created to be eternal. Uh, that that um, that's kind of neat. And He doesn't have to respect the human body like that, but we do. So does that help a little? 
It, it does. It does. So the the relics are protected by the church. They're protected. They're kept reverently. You know, I just uh, somebody called in and was grieving that they had taken somebody's uh, a Lutheran cousin. They'd taken his his uh, ashes and were going to make jewelry out of them. Well, jewelry is is an adornment not for the person who's dead or whose body we're reverencing, it's using that human body to adorn me. It's in an odd kind of way, a sort of post-mortem slavery. So we don't find that reverent. Uh, uh, we want to make sure the body is treated with great reverence. So it's a grave or a reliquary as far as we're concerned. So I hope that helps. Thank you, and God bless you. Well, God bless. And, and by the way, for, for Frank, um, uh it is not known when, I just looked this up, it's not known when the preparation for Christmas that now called Advent uh, began. It was certainly in existence from about 480 uh, at the Council of Tours it was talked about. And it seems to have been a development of the the pre-Christmas fast. Uh, and it was a time of fasting when I was a kid. So, no, Advent is a very, very Christian thing. So, all right, let's see here. Let us now go to the next caller, Susie from La Crosse, Wisconsin. Are you with us, Susie? I am, Father Simon, good. and I love your show. If I'm not learning, I'm laughing. So, thank well, good. you. Well, uh, good. Probably a little more laughing than learning. But what can I do for you, Susie? Well, I have a, the, the, a caller that just called a couple calls ago made me think of this. Um, the St. Gertrude prayer that you, we pray for the holy souls, yeah. it has kind of a little asterisk at the end of it. Yeah. And it yeah. says when you pray this prayer, you help release a thousand souls from purgatory, which I, I love the thought of. And I try to yes. say the prayer 10 times a day, but I I don't. Is that true? Was that from God or did somebody make well, that up also? Let me let me pull it up here. Um, you know, the, the, Saint Ger- the prayer of St. Gertrude. Um, well, you know, there's it's 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 there's no guarantee. It's not part of the deposit of faith. Uh, it's it's uh, um, it's something that somebody decided was revealed. But it, you see, it's not part of the deposit of faith. That's an important thing. The deposit of faith is the faith that we've received from the from the apostles, uh, from Christ through the ministry of the apostles. And it is in all places and all times known. This St. Gertrude prayer, it doesn't hurt. I don't know. We'll see at the end of time if, if, the, if the great promises were made uh, were true. But I, I don't know that, that, um, uh, um, that, that those, those probably were added by someone other than St. Gertrude, frankly. I don't know. But... You know, you can't hold God to a promise that someone else makes. You, you follow? If God made yep, the promise, he will he will honor it. But somebody said, God said this. I, I remember, you know, I, I believe, you know, Medjugorje is rather controversial in spots. Um, and no, St. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, we prophesy in part, we know in part. All prophecies outside of Scripture are at least a little imperfect. And even the prophecies of Scripture, which are perfect, are not so good when filtered through my my brain. And I remember there was a fellow who was a great devotee of Medjugorje who would come by the rectory on Wednesdays and Thursdays to see what we were eating. And we always ate what was left over from the food pantry, you know. And uh, and he would say, call me, pull me aside, say, the Blessed Mother has said that you're only to be eating bread and water on Wednesdays and Fridays. 
and I would say, John, seven kids in Yugoslavia, said the Blessed Mother, said, and she's not the Pope. Oh, he would get so mad at me. <laughs> I'm sure I'm going to spend some time <laughs> in purgatory for that. <laughs> But I had so much fun yeah, with it, you, you know. Start saying that St. Gertrude prayer. <laughs> yeah, this, yes, exactly. Pray it for me. Yeah, the St. Gertrude prayer is lovely. Who knows if the promise that somebody tacked on at the end is true or not. And I suspect that's exactly what happened. It was it was tacked on at the end. So that's just my suspicion. I may be wrong. Keep saying the prayer. It's a nice prayer. Does that help? Thank you. Yeah, God bless. Thank you. Thanks, Carlotta. All right. That wasn't Carlotta. That was Susie. Carlotta, are you with us? What can I do for you? Good afternoon, Father. Good afternoon. What can I do for you? I was wondering, since Our Lady was conceived without original sin, if Mm -hmm. she had to endure the dreadful toothaches and colds and flu that we have to. Thank you. Well, the scripture says Jesus was like us in all things but sin. Jesus did not have to suffer colds, toothaches, and all that stuff, but he did for love of us. And I'm of the opinion that our Blessed Mother, Immaculately Conceived, did not have to suffer those things, but in union with her Divine Son and for love of us, I suspect she did. You know, that the everybody talks about the Immaculate Conception, oh, that would be great, you don't have all, all these tendencies to sin, you don't... The Immaculate Inception was a huge responsibility, and she was Our Lady of Sorrows. Uh, a sword would pierce her heart. So the, 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 the Immaculate Conception did not absolve her of the opportunity of suffering. The opportunity. I don't think she had to suffer. I think she did for love of her son and for love of us. That's my take on it. Well, all right. Good to talk to all of you. I hear music in my head, and it's always good to hear music in my head because it means Drew is coming up. So don't change that dial. Does anybody still have dials on things? I don't know if they have dials. Don't change it, though. Drew's coming up.